This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life. Only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we're in for a treat. We've got Navy SEAL Team 4, Shannon Rush. How you doing, my friend? Very good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, I appreciate you uh, being on the Circuit of Success podcast, man. You are a true American hero, and I am thankful you're spending some time with us today. So, well, why don't you uh, go back and kind of tell our listeners your story and, and uh, kind of what made you uh, the man you are today? Sure thing, man. So getting right into it, um, I, I was born in Lawton, Oklahoma. Um, tragedy found my life pretty quickly. My, my first memory is standing in a junkyard looking at a totaled 1977 light blue two-door cougar. My brother was standing to the left of me and my grandparents were to the right. Um, and a drunk driver had run a stop sign going so fast that his front right tire it burnt a hole through my mother's door and it wrapped her and her best friend around a telephone pole across the street and killed them both instantly um and that was my first memory i was 16 months old when that happened and at the time my our father my brother and i he left us we still don't know who he is uh, to this day so that's kind of how my life kicked off my brother and i we bounced around in between aunts and uncles' houses for a little bit, and he remembers them fighting a lot behind closed doors about not being able to afford us, which, you know, when you're a little kid, that always translates into you're not wanted more so than we can't afford you. And I know that really had a big effect on his heart and the way that he viewed himself later on in life. I, I really don't remember too much of that. You know, it's, it's funny the things that your mind grabs onto when you're a little kid. And when you're a little kid, you don't understand what never means. And I didn't understand what they meant when they said your mom was never coming home. I knew she just never came back and picked us up. Um, my grandparents eventually adopted us. And, you know, life goes on uh, for anybody. You can't stop time from moving into the future. And, of course, I'm no different in that. Uh, when we were in the first grade, we had another major event happened in our life we were having dinner one night at the uh dinner table and my grandfather had a stroke while we were all having supper and i you know i share that in my story because it set into motion a series of other events that would later change my life in a major way but from that we moved from lawton oklahoma to popper bluff missouri and really that's where i grew up at and i feel like i had a normal childhood I'd ride my dirt bike in the woods all day, which I'm sure like a lot of young men do in Missouri. And, you know, we would build jumps into spring-fed rivers because just riding your bike's never enough. And, start, you know, I'd start playing soccer. Yeah, you got to have the jumps, you know. And then we would jump into all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I was just a normal kid. I played soccer for 15 years growing up. Uh, started wrestling in the sixth grade. And, uh, you know, going into high school as a sophomore, I was a varsity wrestler and I was dating a senior cheerleader, you know, so I thought I was the man in my little world there in Papa Bluff, Missouri. And uh, life was good. You know, I, I was a happy young man. I really felt like, you know, none of that stuff had affected me. I, I knew I was different in a way, but, you know, I, I really felt like my life was coming together and, you know, this is things were starting to click but when I was that same year when I was a sophomore 
Um, Valerie dropped me off from school one day, and it was just like any other day. You know, back then I really couldn't read the signs that, hey, your life's getting ready to change, or you're in the moment of changing your life, because I was still just, you know, so wrapped up in figuring out who I was as a man. I, I couldn't really see that yet. I didn't have that much awareness. But I, she dropped me off. I gave her a kiss goodbye, and I walked in the house, and I immediately recognized how quiet the house was. It was dead still and quiet, which was odd to me, because usually my grandfather was sitting there watching a rerun of the outlaw Josie Wells or, or Big Jake or something like that. You know, I grew up watching Westerns with my grandfather, and that was, you know, one of my fondest memories, or some of my fondest memories are of doing that with him. I still love watching Westerns to this day, and it's because of that. But but the house was dead quiet. And while I thought that was odd, you know, I, my next thought was to get something to eat because, you know, when you're a teenager, you're always hungry. So, yeah, so I turn into the house, and as I turn into the house, I can see through the living room and through the dining room, and I see into the kitchen, and I see my grandfather you know, laying dead in the floor from a heart attack that he had had that morning. And, you know, it was it was pretty bad because uh, the way that he looked, he'd been laying there all day. And I knew it was the morning time because he still had the dish rag in his hand that he would use to wipe down the, the kitchen counters. But, you know, by that time in, in the day, laying there all day, the blood has settled to the bottom of the body. So it was... Uh, it was pretty gruesome scene, and he cut he, like he bit his tongue really hard, so there was blood coming out of his mouth from that. It looked like an explosion went off in his chest. And as bad as that was, you know, it really didn't scare me or freak me out. Um, it was my grandpa, and I loved my grandpa. You know, we didn't have the best relationship, but I, I still loved him. Um, but you know, ever since we'd had that, he'd had that stroke when I was in the first grade, I grew up going in and out of hospitals for different things because he was also diabetic. So he was always sick, you know, and sooner or later I knew this was gonna happen because in a way I was conditioned to know that it was gonna happen. It just so happened today was the day and I was the first one home. So, you know, I, I, I just stood there with my grandfather for a little bit and you know stroked his hair i remember how the look was in his eyes it looked like it reminded because his eyes were still open and it just reminded me how distant the stars are in the night you know but i i, I called 911 because really i didn't know what else to do and you know i waited for the paranormal i mean the, the paramedics to show up and they did eventually and of course they said, you know, they looked at me and said, there's nothing we can do, which I already knew that, you know, I, I knew they weren't going to be able to bring it back. Um, and then my brother showed up and really it, it wasn't any of that, Brett, that had that biggest impact on me that day. It was when my grandmother showed up and, and I went up to hug her. She started punching me in the chest, you know, like hitting me on the chest. And she said to me, Shannon, you, you finally killed him. You were too much stress for his heart to handle. Now, you know, it wasn't that he continued to smoke after he had a triple bypass surgery or had poor nutrition. You know, I just didn't follow any of the instructions the doctor had told him to do. You know, they, she was basically saying it was me and my personality uh, that killed my grandfather. And, and what really hurt is as we progressed into this event, the rest of my family agreed with her. You know, they were they basically said, yeah, we should have got you out of there a long time ago. It, it was too much. You know, you, you're just too boisterous and these type of things. And, you know, if you said that to me today, I'd probably punch you in the throat and ask you to repeat yourself, you know. But but back back then, uh, it, as a 15-year-old boy, I was devastated. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to sit on here and tell everybody that I handled it well and I held my head high and I persevered. Um, but I did not. I went into a really dark place, uh, severely depressed, a lot of high-risk behavior, um, ran around with some bad people, got into some trouble. You know, it really wasn't a, that I was a bad person it, by any means. It's just I couldn't stand 
the way that I felt inside. So I'd slowly kill myself every day with the poor decisions that I'd make because I really didn't have the resolve or the balls to put a gun in my mouth and blow my head off. You know, that's the truth of it. Well, yeah. So what did you do, Shannon? I mean, how did you get through that? Because, I mean, knowing the story is you did have some dark days and the and from based on what you told me. Um, how did you get through that to eventually get into the military? What well, it was, it was an interesting time in my life, that dark period. And looking back at it, I... Um, I'm surprised I made it through it. The, there were a lot of times I was just, I was, I felt terrified and isolated, you know, and if anybody that's out there listening to this, that's been in a really dark place, uh, you know that you feel like you're alone in it and you feel like you can't talk to anybody. And even if you do talk to somebody, you, you feel like they don't understand because they haven't been through exactly what you've been through. And, of course, these are lies that the darkness likes to tell you. But that's how I felt. And um, looking back over it, I, I'm, I'm surprised I made it out of it. Because there were many times in there, you know, whether it was a car accident or, a, you know, something stupid that we were doing where, where I should have died a couple times for sure. But... It took another major event in my life to snap me out of that. It was my grandmother being diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, you know, anybody that's seen that whole thing go down, it, it, it's pretty bad. They gave her about, yeah, they gave her about three months to live once they diagnosed her. And um, about they were pretty right on with their diagnosis. She died about three months later. But in that last two weeks, um when it's really bad, you know, and, and people that have seen it know what I'm talking about. She was under the influence of a lot of morphine. My family stepped in again and they took power of attorney and they rewrote the will and they stole my part of the estate. So is this put me in a really, I was already in a really dark spot, um, you know, and I, I'd, I'd have bad thoughts about things, but I came to a point in my life where I was having I was feeling like I could act on these thoughts, which, you know, thinking something dark is one thing, but feeling like you can actually do it and you're capable of doing that. When you get to that spot, you're you're in another place completely different and, and you're in big trouble, really. And that's where I was because, you know, I was having feelings like um, thoughts that I was going to take vengeance on some of my family for treating me this way. And... Um, I realized that I'd come to a crossroads in my life because I knew if I acted on any any of those thoughts and feelings that I'd either end up in prison or I'd end up dead trying to run from those choices and decisions in my life. So, you know, at the time in, in the Navy, there was a program called the SEAL Challenge. And growing up, and, and I, I think this is true for a lot of people, you know, I'd, I'd always heard that Navy SEAL training is the hardest military training in the world. I mean, you've heard that before, right, Brett? Absolutely. I believe that. Even though I've never done any of them, I believe that. Well, it, it is, and I'm not downplaying any of the others, but there's nothing else like it in the military um, or anywhere else in the world, really, as far as length of training and how much cold water you're exposed to. So I, I had the thought in my mind if – you know, if I could do that, if I could go through the hardest military training in the world, that it would save my life, that they would fix whatever it was that was wrong with me. And that's really what I believed. You know, I knew I had to do something drastic to snap me out of this place that I was in. So um, that's what I did. I, I joined the Navy. Uh, instead of making these terrible decisions, I, I chose to be accountable for my life and you know take take some kind of control over it and then put that in the hands of people men that i trusted you know would mold me into something better than myself and i could be a part of something you know bigger than myself so a week after my grandmother's death uh i went to boot camp at great lakes and then i went to intel school at namitzi which is navy and marine corps intelligence training school out in damnet virginia and then I classed up Bud's class 236 out in Coronado in early 2000. So, um, you know, Bud stands for Basic Underwater Demolition Seal School. And 
it's divided into three different phases. And in that first phase, there's this milestone called Hell Week that you got to get through. And Hell Week's basically five and a half days of training with little or no sleep, basically. So it's a it's a pretty big test. It's a trial by fire, to say the least. And the the first night of Hell Week is called Breakout, right? And this is kind of how my my Hell Week went down, or my Breakout went down. They uh they asked us. They told us, boys, go get your ground pads and your sleeping bags. We want y'all to come into the classroom back here, and we're gonna. We're going to eat some pizza, and we're going to watch Gladiator to get you guys pumped up. So, you know, but we want you all in one spot, so when we're ready to get started in the morning, well, we, don't want, we don't want to have to come looking for you, right? Now, you're in the hardest military training in the world. They know, you know where, somebody's lying. Yeah, they know where you are all the time. So, and by this time, you know, leading up to this point in my life, I've been running around with some... Um, with some pretty shady characters, you know, some criminals and some thieves and stuff like that. So I got really good at reading body language. So I, I know when people are lying to me by the way that their body moves because I just watched it so many times in that dark period of my life, you know, watching people not necessarily lie to me, but and sure enough, you know, about halfway through my second piece of pizza, a flash crash rolls into the back of the room. You know, a flash crash is a percussion grenade that certain teams use when they're going in to say hi to people they're really loud and you know they're very disoriented <laughs> but this thing goes off boom right and uh and then an instructor comes in the front door and he's shooting off an m60 which it, he's shooting blank rounds but if you could think about like in a confined space uh, a classroom yeah a classroom with tile floors it's, it's really deafening still uh, and they tell us to get out onto the grinder and as we, we come out onto that grinder, every SEAL instructor at Naval Special Warfare Training Center is out there waiting for us. And basically, total chaos ensues. And, uh, you know, smokes are going off, flares are going off. Everybody's yelling at you to do something different. And they just beat you, basically, for about 45 minutes. You know, wind sprints to the beach and back to get wet and sandy. Any kind of exercise that you, you think you could do. I did flutter kicks for so long that I still have a scar on my tailbone from, you know, doing flutter kicks sitting there. And basically, they make you do everything to failure. And then when you couldn't do another push-up or another pull-up or another wind sprint to the beach and back, they line you up in a line. And they let everything go dark and quiet. And they do this on purpose, you know, they're, they're messing with your mind because everybody's sitting there thinking, oh my God, what just happened, right? <laughs> so, uh, but then one of the instructors walks down the line and, and he's, he's real cool, calm and collected. And he's not, you know, he's not moving fast. Everything's quiet. And he says, boys, that's just the first 45 minutes. We got five and a half more days left of this. So we had so many people quit like right there in that moment, in that first 45 minutes of Hell Week because they let their mind basically run off with, oh my God, I couldn't do another push-up right now. How would I ever last five and a half more days? And to be completely honest, it scared the crap out of me too. But my whole life changed right there because I, I learned the power of just staying in that moment because if I thought about how would I ever last five and a half days, it freaked me out. But if I if I knew that time had to move into the future, like even the instructors, as good as they are, they can't stop time from moving into the future. They can beat the crap out of you during that time, but they can't stop it. So that's what I focused on. I focused on just doing the best that I could right there in that moment. And that's what I did. You know, we ran 73 miles in the first 24 hours of our hell week. Yeah, so it was a, it was a fun week, it, but there was nothing else like it. You know, by the end of it, I was hallucinating a little bit. And, you know, it, it was uh, it was interesting. In the way hell week works, you know, the first three days of it are pretty physical. But the last... From Wednesday night on, it, the physical part 
it kind of tapers off a bit because the instructors know with the sleep deprivation that you know that you can start you can really get hurt at that point so things become more mental because they want to see if you can still work as a team what your what your pressure level is basically are you going to freak out are you going to yell at people are you still going to stay cohesive and work together to get the the job done so there's a bunch of teamwork stuff and a bunch of mental kind of like scenarios and problems that you have to work through uh until the end and you know that last that last morning they're sitting there messing with you and everybody is just absolutely sleep deprived and they're, they're having you run up and down the beach and of course they're still playing mind games with you at this point and um you know i forgot what they were doing they were saying that we, we didn't do something good enough so we were getting ready to do another 14 mile run and we but we had to do some uh surf acclimation which some people call surf torture and they had us face facing the ocean and uh, we were locking arms and really what they were doing is they were giving getting the co a chance to sneak out onto the beach and to to secure hell week and that's what they did i i remember it clear as day you know it was the the best moment of my life leading up to that point and i i, I mean i actually cried a little bit it was um you know it was a huge accomplishment for anybody to do absolutely and, uh, nothing like yeah nothing like it I've, I've ever done since either so um you know I, we started with 177 guys and we had 49 coming out of hell week so we we dropped that class down by almost two-thirds just in the first four weeks of training so it it was awesome wow. you know because and, and talk about the bell that's uh the infamous bell that stands there with you the warm cup of coffee all that kind of stuff oh yeah well you know we uh we do this they do this we do this evolution every morning called surf acclimation and, and, and mainly it's in first phase where they basically get you out of your warm snuggly bed and they'll have you face the ocean and you lock arms and you walk into the ocean and they'll have you stop where it's probably just as deep as your boot and you can feel the cold water seeping into your boot and you know if you've ever been into the pacific ocean you know that it's, it's always cold you know it, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is it's always cold and while they're doing this while you're standing there thinking oh crap this water's really cold this morning uh they're behind you and they're they're setting up a table with coffee and donuts and they they bring the bell out and they set it right beside you and they're, and they're always they're constantly playing mind games with you and, and just saying some of the most outrageous stuff half the time you don't know whether it's true or what and they're joking or whether it's for real so you know they they, they constantly try to keep you questioning yourself which you know if you just stay the course and just say hey man it doesn't matter what comes up i'm gonna go through it and just let their stuff go in one ear and out the other it, of course unless it's something safety but you, you can tell when they're playing with you and they, i don't know if they had really taken the water temperature this morning but this is one way that they were messing with our minds they said boys we took the water tip this morning and it's only 50 degrees and i'm so glad i don't have to get in that water and neither do you if you don't want to, you can just come back here and ring this bell, and you can have coffee and donuts with us if that's what you want to do. Or you can go back and get in your warm, snuggly bed if that's what you want to do. And then they would make us walk into the surf zone, and which oh, about waist deep, which was always up, you know, to my chest because I'm a really short guy. If you, you you ever see me, you know, I'm a I'm I'm short. But then you lay down in the water with your head facing the beach so that the waves crash up over you and the salt water goes up your nose and everything and you got to lay there for 45 minutes and get acclimated right to the to the cold water that's why some people call it surf torture because i don't know if you really get acclimated to the cold water ever right so the way i i beat this in my mind because it sucked you know you had to lay there and take it there was there wasn't any way out of it you know the evolution was never secured early and you had to lay there for 45 minutes. And if you didn't, then that was a, a drop on request. So in my mind, I, I beat it by saying to myself, you know, I'll be numb in three minutes. So the other 42 don't matter, you know, and that's that's how I beat that evolution in my mind. Um, instead of just going back and forth, you know, you could see guys 
torturing themselves in their mind of, I don't want to be in this cold water. I want to be back in my warm bed. And they'd go back and forth in their mind. And eventually they would quit, you know, and they'd sacrifice their dream of becoming that United States Navy SEAL because that reason that they had for being there wasn't bigger than overcoming that 45 minutes in the cold water, you know. So it was, uh, and that was basically a daily event uh, during first phase, but second phase was probably the hardest for me because in my mind, when I made it through Hell Week, I thought the rest of Buzz was just going to be a cakewalk, you know, it was just going to be like, I had to finish the evolution and, you know, I wasn't going to have any more hiccups because yeah. I didn't, kind of victory lap. right, 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 you know, I, I thought Hell Week would be the hardest thing and it was difficult, but it wasn't the hardest part for me, uh, second phase was definitely the hardest part for me, where, where some guys, they, they read every Navy SEAL book there was out there so they knew everything that was going to happen in buds i i really didn't know much about it you know i made the decision to go into the military within a matter of a day or two and to go into the seal teams because i just you know i knew i needed to change my life i heard the seal teams were the best in the world that's what i wanted to be around because i wasn't going into you know for college money i wanted to go around and i wanted to go in and i wanted to be around the guys that wanted to fight you know i didn't want to get into a situation and be around people that were there that didn't have that mindset. So um, I just, I was kind of taking buds as it was coming to me. You know, I knew there was hell week. I knew there was this thing called drown proofing. I knew that we would, there would be some diving. I didn't know what all that would entail. And then I knew we would shoot some guns and blow some stuff up. But I didn't have any idea what pool comp was. And I about failed out of buds in pool comp in second phase. And pool comp is this evolution that's designed to simulate, you know, rough currents and seas underwater. So if you get banged around on a dive mission, you, you don't lose your cool and drown, you know. So it's really important evolution. But it's also a way for the instructors to watch you and see how you handle high levels of stress and to see how you can still think or if you can still think or if you just fold under the pressure of the stress and kind of freak out. So it's it's a you know it's a twofold evolution uh, because something about being underwater, not being able to breathe, really freaks you out. You know I don't care who you are, right? Yeah, it's not a good combo. yeah so in buds you get you get three opportunities to pass an evolution. Now if you if you fail three times, one of two things can happen. You can either they'll either send you to the fleet. Or they'll, they'll roll you into the next class coming through if they think you're going to be a good operator and, um, you know, they want to invest some more time. In you. And, and I've even seen situations where they'll just, if they think you're a good dude and you're not going to quit, if you just jump back in the water and go again and again and again, they'll, they'll keep beating you until, and, you know, because that's the warrior spirit that they like to see, you know, so... So you tap out. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to keep trying. So, you know, um, I failed this evolution twice. And after taking a pretty good beating and, and getting some good words of encouragement from the instructors in their own special way, you know, uh, they made me go set along the wall of shame. And they asked me to think about whether or not I really wanted to be a part of their program. And, well, you know, of course I did. As far as I was concerned, you know, the SEAL teams were going to be my new family and my new home and that stuff. So you know, this is that, this is what happened when I, I passed pool comp. You jump in the water there, and there's a, there's a four-foot and eight-foot, and I believe it's a 15-foot section of the pool there. Um, and you jump into the eight-foot section, and you crawl on the, on, on the bottom of the pool back and forth in between the black lines. And the instructors are, are swimming above you, and they, they're watching you. And they'll, they'll come down, and they'll hit you, and they'll do different things to you, mess with your gear, pull your mask off, you know, just, just mess with you, kind of harass you. And at first, it's very mild. You know, it's, it's just pulling your mask off, and you got to put it back on and clear it, and then you continue to just crawl back and forth. But it gets progressive. Because you got, like, scuba diving equipment on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got that old Jacques Cousteau. Uh, you know, double hose regulator, and you got the big twin eighty tanks. It's the it's the old school stuff from the sixties and seventies. That's what you start with, right? So you you crawl around, and that it gets progressively harder as the evolution. You know, if you if you do everything right, then it goes up to the whammy knot. Now every 
instructor has their own special kind of whammy knot and you know they love to brag about how awesome their whammy knot is and how many people they can get to quit with their whammy knot and if you can make it through their whammy knot if you can get through that problem then then you pass the evolution so i've been hit probably now three or four times so i knew the whammy knot was coming at, at any moment and, and i'm completely alive aware in that moment underwater I, I was like it was on fire underwater i was that aware and and these guys are devious so they're, they're the best in the world at what they do the you know navy seal instructors they they have that stuff to a science they know exactly how far they can push somebody and even further than and they know a lot how they know how far they can push you which is a lot further than you think you can go but they're, they're devious especially in this one and they're watching my bubbles and they wait till about half of my bubbles come out before they come down and hit me this last time to do the whammy knot on me and they pull my mask off and like i said you're wearing one of those old Jacques Cousteau double hose regulators and they pull that thing out of my mouth and they they twist it in front of my neck and then they put it behind my head and twist it one more time and they put it back in the front and twist it another time and then they grab it by the regulator and they stand on my twin 80s and they pull those hoses up as high as they can and they wrap them around behind me and stick them between my back and my twin 80s so now i got that double hose regulator wrapped around my neck choking me and it's got me basically pulled back with my back arched because of the tension from them sticking it behind my twin 80s there and they, they take me and they turn me upside down and they smash me off the bottom of the pool three times on my face and then they punched me as hard as they could well i guess it was as hard as they could i mean it was pretty hard in in the diaphragm there <laughs> yeah yeah well and it was the intention was to see if they could get me to release the rest of my air I remember floating there like like a cartoon character, you know, underwater for a minute, which is a funny thing to think, but that's how I felt, you know, just getting all beat up like that. And But now you have to fix everything to breathe. And like I said just a couple minutes ago, you know, not being able to breathe underwater really messes with your mind. But this is where you got to be able to think because even though you you got to fix everything to breathe, you just can't start ripping stuff off. Everything has to be done in a very specific order. You know, certain things have to be taken off at a certain time. If you just start ripping stuff off, that that shows them that you, that you cannot handle the stress and you, you're just reacting instead of acting, right? Um, so that's what I do. I, I get to work. <clears throat> you get. I take my wet belt off and I start popping my straps in the proper order. And when I get to my top strap, I feel my twin 80s starting to float up off my back and I grab them when they get up high enough and I spin them once and I spin them twice and I spin it a third time to get that knot off my my uh, neck there and I get it down in front of me and, and I start turning on the air and you know if you've ever been underwater and you or if you've ever been close to having a shallow bl water blackout or, or have had one and, and you know that you know this you're completely aware in that moment you can see you can see the darkness starting in your peripherals. It's like a little twinkling before you you black all the way out. And this is I can see this starting to happen in my peripherals. So I know I'm getting ready to go out. I, I don't have much longer. And and here's the secret, Brett, if you ever go to Buds and, and you want to pass pull comp, brother. Okay. All right. Awesome. So when everything in your body is telling you to put that regulator in your mouth and breathe, don't do that. Because if you do, then all that water, it's sitting there and that regulator will go down into your lungs and you'll choke. And that's what I did the first two times. But the secret is turning your head sideways and then breathing. And that way, all that water goes down into the hose instead of the back of your mouth. But it was right there, man, right in that moment when I got that breath that I knew that I had the evolution beat because at that point all I had to do was put everything back on in the proper order I asked for the okay and I got the thumbs up and they actually swam down and get you this time and bring you to the shallow end you know and it's a completely different conversation coming out of the water that time of course but you know I grew 
I grew so much in my life in this really short period of time. I, I was probably only underwater five or six minutes, but it set my it set my mind down a different course completely that if I just stayed aware and present and in that moment that I could overcome the most difficult and stressful of scenarios. I, I, really looking back, it was probably the genesis of a warrior's mind because up until that point, I'd just been going off of sheer willpower. You know, I didn't know how I was going to be able to make it. Uh, I just knew I wasn't going to quit. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do some of this stuff. I just knew I wasn't going to quit. But now I started to believe that I could do it. You know, and that's a completely different mindset, believing in yourself. Because, you know, in this po- at, up until this point in my life, I've just been, you know, being put through the ringer. So I started to believe in myself again. And, and that was a, a big deal for me back then. And so that took all the negative thoughts that you've been having for these years and years. And now you've got this new family. You've got positive thoughts. You've got belief back in yourself. That's a big deal. It, 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 was a, it was a turning point in my life, you know, um, especially being around that group that I was around because you can see the guys – you know, that had the eyes, that wanted to be there, that had the reasons, you know, they had, you you could tell who was going to make it. And by that time, you know, everybody that did make it, we were all friends for the most part. There was little different groups amongst the the people that made it, but everybody in my group that we hung out, everybody made it through Buds. And, And we were friends, you know, from Hell Week on. So, you know, it, it, it was interesting to see that. It was interesting to know that now I was a part of this this group of people that had just this desire to win and that I knew would never quit. You know, I, I knew they would never leave me. And that was my, like, that was my biggest reason to go to Buds was I I wanted to be, I wanted to trust somebody that much with my life, you know, because I wanted to, to be able to put that much trust in somebody because I've never had that in my life, you know, growing up and even going before going into buds, you know, you, you have friends and you say, yeah, man, we're best buds. I'll die for you. And some people may mean that, but you know, a lot of times that's just lip service. But for me, I'd always given my trust away to the wrong people. And you know, th- those are always hard lessons to learn because you know, you give your trust away, you give your heart away, and it hurts when it's betrayed. So I, that was my main reason for going to going into the SEAL teams is I wanted to be able to trust somebody that much with my life. Um, so that for well, especially the uh, operations that you guys go do, I mean, you you got to know they got your back. Absolutely. Well, you know, and even if you don't like somebody, all that stuff goes out the door because you know sometimes. At that level, you get a bunch of alpha males around each other. People are not going to like each other. But once you know that, once the boots hit the ground, all that stuff disappears. And I believe that's in any team. You know, um, it, you know all that. There's no room for petty stuff anymore. So, um, you know, realizing that now I, I'm I'm proving this. You know, I'm proving it. And now I'm I'm believing it myself. It was a like I said, it was a turning point in my life. And going into third phase, it it, it was one of, it's the funnest time in Buds as far as I was concerned. Because by that time, you've pretty much, you, you're going to make the program unless you're unsafe or you're not tactically sound. And um, usually they're one and the same. If you're unsafe, then you're not tactically sound. So, um, but everybody that's there, more than likely they're not going to quit. You know, they've done all the hard stuff. They've done the pool comp. They've done the drown proofing. They made it through Hell Week. You know, so they've, they've proved that they want to be there. And so now you start doing the fun stuff. You know, you start playing with the guns. I, I don't guess I should say playing with the guns, but, you know, it, it's big, big big boy playing, right? So you're doing the... You're doing the land navigation. You're starting to learn some concept of tactics, and you're um, you're learning about explosives and blowing stuff up. So, it, it, this is a very uh, a fun time in, in Buzz. And I, I don't know where you were at Brett, when September 11th happened. Do you remember where you were? Absolutely, like it was yesterday. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think every American does, and, and probably every a lot of people around the world does. I heard somewhere one time that 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 
information went around the world in I think it was a matter of 12 minutes that yeah yeah I remember trying to get on the internet at work that day and we couldn't even get on like it was like locked down yeah. you know I mean you couldn't even like, search for anything yeah so we were we were actually in I was actually in bud still and uh, I was in third phase and we were out in La Posta out in the desert and we were doing some search and recon training some just some desert warfare stuff you know where we'd we would go make hide sites in the desert and we would practice spying on you know we'd have a target and we'd have to watch it and you know document everything that's happening um you know just doing because that's a, a lot of what uh, the mission statement is is watching before you you act you know so um this in particular morning september 11th we were we were out PTN and the first plane hit and the instructors came out and they said somebody flew a plane into the twin towers get in here now you know we thought they were messing with us again because some of the stuff they would say would be just absolutely ridiculous I remember they said something like Brad and Angelina died in a plane crash when we were in hell week, you know, and they were trying to mess with us and they just they would say the most outrageous stuff. So at first we thought they were messing with us, you know, and uh, we were like, yeah, right. And we, we actually took a pretty good beating for not listening uh, and thinking they were playing. And then we realized that they were serious and we came, they brought us into a conference room there and we watched the impact of, the second plane hit and you know just like everybody else we it was hard to believe what you were seeing you know and all the questions of why and, and who and you know what the hell is going on is it's going through everybody's mind but you know the instructors being who they are they knew something was going on and, and they told us right away they said boys this is obviously an intentional attack on American soil and you know we don't know who's behind it yet but whoever it is we're gonna be going to war and some of you will not be coming home and uh, we actually had we actually had two people quit right there on the spot which was you know I mean that's unheard of because by that time like I said you've made it through all the difficult stuff and and you're really starting to do the fun stuff that baseline of stuff that will eventually make you a, a good operator, but they obviously were there for the wrong reasons, and that became very clear to them that day, you know, when everything became real. But I, I remember the rest of us was like, screw it, man. This is what we joined up for, you know. It just means it's going to accelerate the timeline a little bit faster. We're going to get to a fight, you know. So the, the, the training changed a little bit after that. You know, the, the mood of it, the, it went from – more of a, I don't want to say they became easier on us, but it became more of a, a big brother type of, uh, which there was always that, but it was, there was always a separation. Uh, and that separation was still there, but the instructors knew at that point that they could, it was very possible that they were going to be fighting alongside of us one day. So they, you know, they, the, the level just, it, it increased and they went, even though, well, the mission was real now. Not that it was never real before, right. but now you knew. Yeah, they, yeah, it, they knew stuff was getting ready to go down. And, and not that they were absolutely professional and didn't take their job seriously in the first place, but, you know, like, you could tell they really wanted to pour as much as they could into us, um, even more so than before, which was which was an amazing um, atmosphere, you know, um, we, we obviously still took some beatings because we were still, you know, we still weren't frogmen, and that's just part of the program. You know, you take a beating all the way up to the last day. You take a beating until you get that trident on your chest. So, um, yeah. So, uh, and then even then, you, you know, you're still, you're always, um, even when you get to the team, you know, you, you're still proving that every day with your teammates. But, um, you know, it was an interesting time. It, it, it was one of the best times of my life. You know, we did, we, we finished up third, uh, third phase and we graduated. And, you know, just just from my buds class, I, I lost three of my good buddies. And, you know, I, I, I'd only say their names to honor them because they're, they're true American heroes. Uh, you know, Brett Shadel, Josh Harris, and if you guys have seen Lone Survivor, Mike Murphy, we lost all three of those guys from my... Uh, my buds class, and they're, they're true American heroes. I know you said I was a hero at the beginning, but I, I don't feel that way. You know, those guys, 
you know, it doesn't matter what branch they're in or what level of service. It can be in the reserves or, or 30 years at the SEAL teams. You know, it's all from a servant heart. But those guys that laid everything down, those are the true heroes. You know, um, that that's just my personal uh, opinion on it. But we, I was uh, assigned to SEAL Team 4. And, you know, I had a real good time. And that was, uh, that's, that's pretty much the progression of my story. Served four years, got out, went back to school for a little bit, and then did some contract work and eventually started my own business and have moved into a, moved into a role where I can help influence people with my mind instead of with force, I, you know, I, I still do some consulting on firearms training, and, and I think that's absolutely necessary, especially for uh, qualified, you know, law-abiding citizens that want to protect their families. I believe if you're going to have a firearm, then you should you should understand how to use it under stress. And, you know, so I have a lot of fun doing that, but I have a lot of fun sharing my mindset and hopefully, you know, sharing my story and some of the darkness that I went through and being able to leverage that and be an example of, Hey, you can, you can, you can have a hard way of it, but you can always choose to win if you want to. It doesn't always have to lead to destruction. And if I can be an example and somebody can hear my story and make a positive change in their life, then, you know, that's a win in my book, uh, every time. So that's, that's basically the focus of my life now is doing presentations and sharing my story and you know, I do a lot of writing um, and, and you know that's that's where my life is and I, I feel like being an influence in that way with my mind is really what my passion and calling is now. Well, I think you know when you apply what you've done to the business world and those of us listening, whether you're driving or working out or whatever you're doing, I mean, I think just hearing the stuff that you went through and, and that's the stuff that you can talk about, right? That's not even the stuff that you can't talk about that you've been through that we don't see anywhere close to that in the business world every day. Right. And so I think that's the amazing part is that mentality that you have to go in harm's way every single day to battle through. And sometimes we just have to go out and, you know, have meetings and see clients and we think about how tough our day is completely different well yeah you can say completely different but what i've learned is people's circumstances are just as real to them as anything else you know the the playing field is just different and but the but the problems are, are just as real if i don't make this sale or if i don't do this deal then it doesn't put food on my table for my family and that's that i mean that's a struggle in and of itself and and, and that and yet that can that can put a lot of stress on anybody, which leads to you know disintegration of families and stuff like this. So so that kind of fight is very real for people. And being able to apply, you know, just uh, some simple, not simple, but you know, re basically reorganize your mind where you're always course correcting to get back to on track to to always choose to win in your thoughts, even when everything is falling apart. You know, this is important for anybody in life. I mean, and I still do it every day because there's days where, you know, I, I'm not perfect with this yet either, you know, but I, I try to audit my mind all the time and ask myself, how many times am I choosing to win or am I allowing myself to go into this chaotic thought cycle? And why am I doing that? So it, you know, this is important stuff for anybody because it doesn't have to be going and deploying somewhere. Um, you know, it, everybody's problems are just as real to them in that moment. And they're not any, it's not better or worse or this is a worse situation than that. It's just as real to them in that moment, you know, regardless of what it is. What may seem trivial to one person could be the world falling apart for somebody else and you know it's just where they are in their mind and taking your ego and your judgment out of a situation and being able to look at it and be empathetic and then looking for the lesson in it and being able to share that and say hey man this is this is where I was it may not be exactly where you are but you know there's some similarities there and this is how I thought about it and what I did to pull myself out of it you know, I, I think that's important for anybody, you know, as hard as it is to share some of that stuff because, you know, you, you got to get messy sometimes, but, and people are afraid to share the messiness of their stories out of, out of fear a lot of times because they're ashamed of the mistakes they've made or 
or whatever it may be, you know, that fear likes to trap us and tell us that you're alone in it. But the truth is the mess, the messiness is where you connect with people, uh, you know, cause then they see that, all right, you know, that this guy stepped out of his fear and, you know, he's sharing his darkness and his screw ups basically and his mess ups and he's putting it all out there to show me an example of, hey, man, you know, I've been in this darkness, too, and this is how I overcame it. I think that's it's the most powerful thing that has helped me. So being able to use that's good perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so and people do, I know for me personally, I can't stand it when somebody reads a book and then tries to tell me something's a fact when they've never done it themselves. You know what I mean? So, you know, being able to be real with somebody in that in that situation, even if it's not the same, you know, the exact same situation, you know, it's like, hey, I've been there too. I've been in the darkness. It may not be exactly where you're at, but this is what I did and how I thought about it. And, you know, this is how I apply this mindset today. To, to And I try to do that with everything that I'm doing, you know, co- constantly course correcting. And like I said, you know, there's days that I have bad days too. It's not like, um, I've perfected this stuff at all, but you know, what's the percentage in your mind of how much you choose to win over how much you choose to let your mind run off in chaos? And is it only 50% or are you at 70% or are you winning 90% of the time? Because when you start getting up in those numbers like that, you're kicking a lot of ass. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So what would you say? So we talk about the circuit of success and the attitude, right? So attitude, belief, activity, and results. When you, when you hear the word attitude, in, in success, define success however you want, what comes to mind on attitude? Well, man, you, I, I absolutely believe you create the world you want with your thoughts and feelings. So if, you, if your attitude sucks and you have a choice, and it's your choice to have that attitude, and that's what it all boils down to. You can put it on anybody else for as long as you want to, but it, your, your situation is going to remain the same. It for as long as you do that you have to take control of your own life and be accountable to yourself and and be accountable to yourself with your own thoughts and your feelings because you're the only one that can change those yes it's it's good to have outside influence that is a positive influence and of course association is very important but it's an inside job and you know some days you may not feel like it but it's on those days that you have to course correct a thousand times in your mind to make sure that you're not going back to that same habit thought pattern that you have of destruction or depression or anger or sadness or or i don't care apathy you know any of that stuff it you know your attitude is it's your choice so when you just remember that you're exactly where you want to be in your life whether you want to admit that or not and it's directly related to your thoughts and your actions that are related to those thoughts. And once you realize that, it, it, you know, you might be mad at yourself for being where you are, but then you can realize that you can create anything that you want in your life. And that's really exciting for me to know that I have the power to create whatever I want in my life. If I have the discipline and I have the courage to take the action every day that is necessary to get what I want. And if I don't, then it's my fault. You know, if I choose to lay around all day today, I have the ability to do that because that's how I've constructed my life. But I know the consequences of that. You know, and there's not going to be big consequences today, but uh, not a lot's going to happen either, you know. And it's okay to have... Well, I think to your, to your point is is that realization of knowing it's your choice, right? That it's not just, oh, I have bad luck or this happened or that happened. No, no, no. You, you define your success by what you said and what I believe is your thoughts and your actions. Absolutely. And it starts with your thoughts, you know, because your thoughts, they create your words and your words create your actions, you know, and, and what you do shapes this world. But it all starts with your thoughts, you know, and how many times, how many times are you choosing to win? And, you know, it's the little decisions. Am I choosing to win in this decision? And it's, uh, that's really as simple as it is for me. Am I choosing to win in this decision? And, I try to do that. I try to win as many decisions, as many thoughts as I can every day, you know. And if I feel myself going off track, I'll, I'll stop myself 
and I'll ask, I'll, you know, I'll ask myself, what am I trying to do here? Like, really, what is the end goal that I'm trying to get to? And then I course correct and I, I go back into it, you know. It, it, and, you know, it's like, how many times are you willing to fail until you succeed? And then realizing that failure is a part of the success process. Once I realized that, it, it really changed the way that I viewed the world and success because growing up, I. You know, uh, what I later learned is the ones that are really successful aren't afraid of failure and they actually see it as a big part of the success process. Instead of being afraid to fail and stuck in that fear, they're constantly failing forward and they're learning from everything that they do. So, um, you know, yeah, just part of it. What, uh, what would you say uh, about beliefs? So when you, when you think of your beliefs, I know we, we talked about one a little bit ago, is belief in yourself. Uh, but it, what else is out there? Well, for me personally? Yeah, just you personally. If, you, if you're giving somebody advice, you know, on this podcast right now, what would, you know, I've got my beliefs, like, you know, belief in myself, you know, belief in God, obviously that first before myself, and then, you know, belief in goal achievement and, uh, and all those things. And there's, there's nine of them that I believe in you have to have to be successful. But what, what are some of yours? Well, it, you know, for me, like I said, it, a lot of it, it comes back to being self-aware. Uh, you know, you got to be honest with yourself first. If you're not honest with yourself, there's it's going to be really hard to be honest with anybody else in your life. So being able to look at yourself in the mirror and be absolutely honest with yourself and be willing to take that mask off and, and you know, make the changes that you need to make inside of yourself to become that person that you want to be, regardless of how scary that it's going to be. You know, I mean, what's the... Well, what's the alternative to live a life of quiet desperation your whole life, knowing that you're wearing a mask? And that that thought uh, really scared me, you know. So for me, the just being as self-aware as I can be and being present in the moment these are these are things that I'm constantly trying to do, so I can so I can see the opportunities if I, as they come, you know. Sometimes I, I, I've been in places where I'd meet somebody and I was somewhere else in my mind and before I left that conversation, I didn't remember what their name was or what they we talked about because I was so far caught up somewhere else in my mind and I'm sure everybody listening to this has done that before as well. But slowing myself down and just being present in the moment so I can see everything as it's unfolding and not living in the past and reliving terrible situations or not living in a future that's not even real. Just being right here now has been the biggest thing that has changed my life. You know, that way it's life's not passing me by either. I see it as it comes, but I like it. So activities, the third pillar is activity. What's, what's the activities today for Shannon Rush to keep you successful, keep you on the grind every single day as you're traveling the country. And we're going to talk more uh, here in a little bit about where people can find you, but Talk to us about those activities you got to do to be successful. Okay, so for me, I, I, you know, I have a couple things I do every day. I, I wake up and I pray and meditate. And for me, they're the same thing. You know, I'm not going to get into. Uh, hey, I'm going to interrupt you because I I thought if I brought up meditation and Navy Seal, I was going to be one of those guys you're going to punch me in the throat, and make me repeat myself. <laughs> you yeah, man, I, it, it's a <laughs> it's a big part of uh, my day. You know, being intentional with your day and setting that focus on what do I want my day to look like, you know, and, you know, making it intentional by, you know, making those pictures in your mind and, and projecting that out into the future, you know, I think that's very, being intentional with your life is so important, you know, instead of just floating around and letting things happen, if you're trying to create something, you have to be intentional with that, and for me, um, casting that vision in my mind slowing myself down first thing in the morning and visualizing my day and and being grateful practicing gratitude and forgiveness and you know these different things that i go through in my meditation it, it helps center me completely that way as i'm going throughout my day not not a lot can throw me off course you know i know exactly what i'm trying to do and what i need to get there because i've already made that you know that thought in my mind so that really helps set the tone for the day 
then I, I've been writing a lot. I like to write. Uh, I have several different presentations that I'm building out right now. Uh, you know, I got a warrior's mind. Creation out of chaos is another one that I have. Um, unstoppable teams. Removing the mask. Living in the moment. These type of things. Um, I'm writing a book right now. Uh, I'm almost done. And it's not going to be a Navy SEAL book. It's going to be a, a mindset book where it's just basically going to go into detail of, you know, all my screw ups and then that process of going basically from self-hatred to have significance, you know, having a life where you love yourself and you're sharing that passion with the world. But the process, the messiness is what the book is about and, and how I went from, you know, that very, that destroyer where I was destroying my life with my thoughts to, to a place where I can share my passion and my, my love for the world with the world and, and help people. So I, well, I think it's an amazing outcome too, because then it ultimately leads to the final and fourth pillar of results. I mean, you've gotten the results. You've shown how you can literally be in a dark, dark spot, turn your life around. And, and, and I know you said you're not, but in my opinion, American hero, that's phenomenal. Well, thank you, brother, man. I appreciate it. So, so tell us a little about your books. You got a book coming out and then obviously, you know, I, this is me saying this, not you. You, it, Turns into a movie. Who's who's playing? <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. That'd be fun. Uh, that, that's that's fun to yeah, that's fun to think about. Uh, you know, the the people that are my editor ha, has actually thought that. Um, you know, I I never see myself like that, but she says there's a movie script there, and whether or not that happens, um, I think it would be interesting. You can for the. For the purpose of influence, you know, you can impact a lot of people that way. Um, and that's the whole reason of doing the book. Right now, I have to be somewhere and speak in front of people to have an impact on them. So um, with a book that is basically, uh, it's going to it's going to be called 11 Steps to Significance. And it, like I said, it's the... It's that process of all these mistakes that I made and then all of the darkness that came out of those mistakes and the, all the lies that I told myself that I believed were the truest thing about me, which were, which is total crap, you know, but all these, all these I am nots, I'm not worthy of success, I'm not loved, I'm going to be alone, all these lies that you get caught up in, uh, in those dark places, especially those isolated places. Uh, you know, and then unraveling all of that and then starting to choose to win. And then what is possible once you realize that you can create what whatever world you want. So that's what the book's going to be about in short. And it's just about done. I'm halfway through the second draft and the third draft going to go pretty quickly. Um, so it'll probably be out by the end of the summer. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, like I said, the, the more people I can influence and if, if I can help be that positive impact on somebody's life that, that can maybe help them turn it around, you know, just give them a click that they need, that little push over the edge to say, you know what, uh, I, this is crappy in my life, but I'm not going to let these circumstances dictate who I am anymore. I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to let go of all that crap and I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the decisions I need to make to become the person that I know that I am deep down inside of myself. Because I don't want to live a life any longer that isn't significant, you know. So that's it, man. Well, I know you will, uh, you will get all of, uh, or you'll get me the information. And, and uh, to all of our listeners, uh, you'll definitely see on social media when that book comes out, we'll be pubbing it for Shannon. And I know everybody will go out and buy it. So, you know, you got us, man. We're going to be here to help support that book. It's going to be phenomenal. Awesome, man. I appreciate it, Brett. Absolutely, buddy. Anything you want to close with? Where can our listeners find more of you? Where can they, uh, I know you and I are in discussions, my team and your team, about you're coming up here and uh, going to give a talk to our firm and clients and, and uh, our advisors and staff and everybody. But where can our listeners find more of you on social media and where can we find you to hire you to come speak because it's a huge impact? Okay, so, uh, you know, I, I also run a 501c3 that's veteran-focused um, it's called Seal Swim Charities. The website is LK Swim S W I M Seal Swim Charities. Yep, yep. Um, LKNSealSwim.org. We do a we have a thirteen point six mile swim that we do across Lake Norman where I live, and that's actually going to be June thirtieth, uh, where me and a couple of my teammates swim across the lake. But we have a, a community part of it 
where uh, we let the community swim for 1.2 miles with us for a donation. Yeah, you must have cut out. I think you said 13 miles that you're going to swim. 13.6. We relay it. Sorry, I forgot point yeah. six. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we also do other endurance events, and we do a skeet shoot and stuff like that. But we we donate a hundred percent of the profits that we raise. Last year we we spent twelve thousand dollars, but we raised a hundred and thirty one. So it's a pretty good little profit margin. Um, and, and, Impact. Yeah, and, and we give all the money away. I don't take a salary. Nobody on my board takes a salary. Everybody works from out of their heart. That's not why we do it. We just wanted to fill a avoid there so um you can find me there uh on social media shannon rush r-u-s-c-h same thing on linkedin uh my other website is silent shadow usa.com and you know i'm building that up so it you know that's where the speaking and stuff like that or if you just want to call me directly my number is 843-619-8000 it's 843-619-8000. Just give me a buzz. Leave me a message. Shoot me a text. You know, We'll make something happen. My man, you are very giving of your time and uh, greatly, greatly appreciate you being on the Circuit of Success podcast. Uh, I knew you'd knock it out of the park and that you did, my friend. So thank you very much. Awesome, brother, man. Thanks for having me. Have a great day now. You do the same. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.